a.m. Sassanacs, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassanac Files. This week, I'm discussing 412 Providence, but before we get to that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassanac Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassanac Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander seasons six and seven, as well as Diana Gabaldon's newest book, Go Tell the Bees That I'm Gone. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of this week's episode, Providence. What's up? This week, we're talking the penultimate episode of season four. It is full of all sorts of emotional landmines. It's a relatively simple episode as far as plot points, but I felt like it was a beautifully written episode as well. A lot of our characters have these wonderful monologue moments, and they're very descriptive and very emotional and I felt like it's an episode that you can easily get lost in. In fact, I try to take a lot of notes for my episode analysis and this was one of those episodes where I just found myself so sucked in to the episode and what was happening that I really wasn't taking notes. (laughs) So this episode is probably going to be a relatively short one. The first thing that I want to talk about, we're going to like ease into the waters of episode analysis, is Fergus and Marsley, because I really feel like Lauren Lyle and Cesar Domboy do a fantastic job portraying their characters. I thought it was a great way to start this episode primarily because it's amazing to me that Jamie and Claire are such an integral part of this series that they don't even need to be on the screen to be felt in the show. And I thought that the scene between Fergus and Marsley, where they were discussing breaking Myrta out of jail, was a fantastic example of this because Fergus is wishing that Jamie was there. What would he do? And they even are talking about what would Jamie and Claire do? You know, WWJD, but it's WWJCD. <laughs> anyway, I thought that it was really great because they were talking about, well, I wish my Lord was here. And then Marsley's quick to point out that I wish Claire was here too because, you know, she risked her life to save him when he was imprisoned at Wentworth and she's one tough lady. And I love that whenever they're thinking about how Jamie and Claire would handle a situation, Marsley says, well, they would find a way and so would we. And it's so true. Jamie and Claire always find a way. And I love that that's something that they've instilled in their children as well. Because I think that moving forward, that's really what this episode is about. It's about Fergus and Marsley finding a way forward. It's about Brianna finding her way forward. It's about Roger finding his way forward. Going into a season finale, that's a fantastic mentality to have in all of your main characters. When we left Fergus and Marsley last episode, their path was really uncertain. They weren't sure where they were going to go. It's getting very frustrating for Fergus. The whole reason that they decided to stay in Wilmington in the first place was because they thought it was going to be easier for them to find work and make a living, and they're quickly finding out that that is not the case. Fergus, because he only has one hand, is not capable of doing men's work, and 
they're not willing to hire him to do anything else, he kind of feels useless because he can't help take care of Marsley and support her the way that he should. And while he loves her and he loves his son, it's very difficult. And so when they get Myrta out of prison, their natural next step is to just go to Jamie and Claire, go to the Ridge, and they'll find a new life for themselves there. Jamie and Claire want Fergus and Marsley to be on the ridge with them. So it really just sets up a great ending for season four and a great jumping off point for season five, as far as I'm concerned. Another thing that was absolutely mind-boggling about this episode is how good a person Lord John Gray is. And I know I talk about it every time I talk about one of his episodes because it really just kind of baffles me how amazing he is. He's always there for people when they need him. It's been something that we've seen really lay over into his friendship with Jamie, but now it's something that he provides for Brianna as well. He's a rock for her, I feel like, in a time in her life when nothing is steady. He's there for her. I know John does it because Jamie can't be there, but I think that he's also quickly developing a very strong fondness for Brie just because of who she is. He knows what she's been through and that it's a really difficult time for her. She's got post-traumatic stress disorder and wants to be there for her in any way that he can. He's completely transparent with Brie in that he says, you know, Stephen Bonnet has been captured. He's set to be executed, but he's extremely taken aback whenever Brie says, well, I want to see him. And I think John struggles a lot with whether that's the right thing to do. But when John finds out that it's not just what Brianna wants, but what Jamie thinks is right too, in a sense, I mean, I don't think that Jamie in any way instructed Bree to go to Stephen Bonnet and talk to him, but he did basically tell Brianna to do what she needs to do to find peace. And if this is what she needs to do, John is willing to help her with that endeavor. And I love how Brianna was like, you'll help me? He said, God knows how and just rolls his eyes. But yes, I'll help you. He always finds a way, doesn't he? He always has strings to pull and favors to call in. And I guess that's one thing about being a good person, right? Is that if you help enough people, eventually you'll have enough favors to call in. I did kind of have the fleeting thought that I'm like, okay, he's pulling all of these strings and calling in all of these favors for the Frasers. Who's left whenever he needs something? So not that that's ever going to happen. I think that John knows enough people in the right places that he's never going to be high and dry, but it is an interesting thing to ponder nonetheless. There was this wonderful little scene when John and Brianna first get to Wilmington and they're, I think they're probably going into an inn or something where they're going to stay. Brianna gets out of the carriage and you can see she's very unsteady. She's starting to freak out a little bit and she's trying to hide it and John sees it and he's like, are you okay? And she says, oh yeah, I'm fine, you know, just bigger than I'm used to being. And tries to pass it off as being unsteady because she's pregnant in her third trimester. He realizes what she's going through. And he says, babies are to be expected. Memories are not. They simply come. He's telling her in that moment that 
it's okay. You can feel what you feel. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong in feeling that way. So I love that he says you can take a minute to prepare yourself. And then he says, take my arm. And I love that he is really just there for her no matter what. And I think he's really good for her. He's kind of her safe space, but also helps her to think about things clearly and logically. And he's her protector. He knows that if Jamie were there, he would be that person for her, but he's not. So John needs to be a friend, but he also needs to look out for her and be a father figure in a lot of ways. That's what I love so much about his role in these episodes is that he already is a father figure to Brianna's brother, even if Brianna doesn't know it. And while he wants to be a friend to Bree and a great friend to Jamie, he also wants to do the right thing. I think that that's what John strives for always is to do the right thing. And I think he does a great job in this episode. And as always, David Barry is fantastic. Bree's journey to forgiveness, honestly, though, is probably one of the biggest things about this episode. Like, hands down, one of the things that baffles me the most because I have a tendency to hold on to things and it's really hard for me to forgive people when they have done a major wrong to me. And especially something as scarring as a rape. It's just, I, I honestly can't imagine I know what that feels like to strive towards letting something go simply because if you hold on to it another minute longer, it's just going to eat you alive. Really, I think that's what this is about for Brie. And it all comes down to this letter that Jamie wrote her. I got to thinking back to the last episode when he was reconciling with Claire in the tent and he expresses a lot of doubt. And he says, I can't be a father to her. I can't be the man that she needs me to be. And Claire says, of course you will. She's just really angry right now. It's kind of interesting because from my point of view, Jamie is the perfect person to help Bree get through what she's going through. I mean, he's a 30-year survivor of a really terrible sexual assault and he more than anyone knows what she's going through. And I love that he wrote this letter to her before he left because he knew that he may not come back. And he wanted to impart that last little bit of wisdom. And he knew that he needed to give that message to the one person he could rely on to get the letter to Brianna. And that was John. And the contents of the letter were so emotional, like so powerful that I wrote them down to read them to you guys today. It says, daughter, I cannot say if I shall see you again. My hope is that it shall be so and all will be mended between us. I've been thinking of your question of whether revenge will heal the wrong done to you. I advise you now that you must not seek it. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of your own life, you must find the grace to forgive. Freedom is hard won, but it is not the fruit of murder. Do not fear that he will escape vengeance. Such a man carries within him the seeds of his own destruction. If he does not die by my hand, it will be by another, but it must not be by your hand. Hear me for the sake of the love I bear you, your loving father, James Fraser. Jamie loves his daughter so much, and I think if it's one thing he wants her to know, it's that she'll be okay 
but she needs to make her peace with it. And I think that's a battle that Jamie fought for a very, very long time. He struggled with feeling like everything wasn't taken from him, that he still had a reason to live. And I think more than anything, that's what he wants Brie to understand, is that she still has her whole life in front of her, and she shouldn't throw everything that she is into this fantasy of revenge because it's not going to get her anywhere. And she can rely on both him and Karma to take care of Stephen Bonnet, but she doesn't need to take action herself. It's going to be better for her to make peace with it and move on and live her life. While it may have been hard for Brie to hear, it's true. And Brianna realizes that And I love that we get this moment of reconciliation between them, even if it's not in person. We see how much his words have affected Brianna. Early on last episode, Jamie was very quiet. He didn't have a lot of lines the last episode because he was having this internal struggle of the mistakes that he made and how that impacted his relationship with his daughter. And the idea that he wrote this letter to her and giving this great advice, conveying how much he loves her and how much he wants her to be happy, I think that was the best thing that he could have done under the circumstances because she read that letter when she was ready to read it. If he had said that to her before he left, she wouldn't have heard it like she needed to. And so I think that Claire's faith in Jamie's ability to be a good father are well-placed And whether he sees it or not, whether Bree sees it or not, he can get Brianna through this tough time in a way that no one else can. And I really, really loved this letter and the fact that they chose for Sam Hewen to read it over this montage of Jamie and Claire and Ian making their way to New York towards Roger. It was a really beautiful way to keep Jamie and Claire in the episode without having a mundane storyline that wasn't going to lead anywhere. So Brianna, she struggles with forgiveness and trying to find a way forward because she was raped and it was a horrific experience for her and she'll carry those scars with her forever. And to make matters worse, her baby could potentially be the child of this rapist. And how do you move forward and make your peace with that? You're going to live with this child for the rest of your life and you have to try your hardest to make them the best version of themselves when potentially their father is some of the lowest scum on the earth. And so not only is Brianna struggling with what was done to her, but with how she can move forward being a mother I really did like the scene between Brianna and Stephen Bonnet at the end of this episode. I thought that Ed Spilliers and Sophie Skelton were phenomenal because it's a very human moment for both of them. We're so used to seeing Stephen Bonnet as this evil bastard, and he is. Don't get me wrong. He is the worst of the worst, but there's a moment in that scene where he almost becomes human. He's trying to keep up this tough facade because he doesn't want anyone to see him sweat, but he realizes that he is staring into his own grave. I thought that that was a good adaptation of what was in the books simply because 
I really felt that way with the scene in Drums of Autumn. It was a completely different set of circumstances, but it was also a moment where Bonnet had the opportunity to have a human moment. And whether or not he meant it or if he just saw it as an opportunity to save his own skin, we'll never know. But I did have a moment in Drums of Autumn where I'm like, well, maybe he's not as bad as everybody makes him out to be and that he's not as bad as the face that he puts on for everybody else. Now, in the show, I think he's a bit more of a villain than that. I think that he really is a nasty individual. I think he's more nasty in the show than he is in the books. But nonetheless, I thought Ed Spleers did a fantastic job in that moment of doubt that he has. Just the looks on his face really do pull into question whether he's as bad as everybody thinks he is, I guess. Brianna, on the other hand, Sophie in that scene was phenomenal. And I know they did a lot of takes and there were a couple of takes where her emotions really just got the best of her and she was screaming her lines and shaking and crying. And I kind of would have liked to have seen those takes just so we can get a better sense of who Sophie is as an actor. But I was pretty satisfied with the takes that they went with. I feel like it was good to see how much Brianna is struggling to compose herself, but also we see the anger and the hurt in her. And she says, I have no choice but to live with what you've done to me. But while you rot in the ground, I will raise my child to be a good person. I think that's something that she needed to say. That was the whole point of going to see him in the jail. She needed to tell him that he didn't beat her. He didn't win. And while he could be the father of her child, that's not going to have any bearing on who that child grows up to be because it will be raised with love and structure and Stephen Bonnet will not exist to this child. It's not what happens in the past that matters. And I think that that all comes back to the scene at the very beginning between John and Bree when she says... Forgiveness won't change what's happened, but it will change what will be. And I agree. If you're forgiving, then that's a weight off of you. A therapist once said to someone close to me that by holding on to hate, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. You can't hold on to something like that and have it not affect you in your everyday life because it's toxic. It just makes you angry and it makes everyone around you angry and that's no way to live. And so I think that Brianna found a way forward in this episode and honestly, it was it was fantastic. Roger is kind of <laughs> his own category, really, because I felt really terrible for him in this episode and I thought that Rick Rankin did a really great job. I mean, think about it. He is thrown into this culture that doesn't speak a language that he speaks, that has all of these customs that he doesn't understand. I mean, pointing is offensive, like gesturing with your finger. That's offensive. Talking when somebody else speaks. I mean, yes, we're taught as young children not to interrupt, that that's rude, but it's not going to get the crap beat out of you either. So the Mohawk are just very, very different from anything that Roger is used to, I feel like. And I do feel really bad because 
when we pick up with Roger, he's trying to get through the gauntlet to earn his freedom. I don't think that he understands that's what he's fighting for, or he may have fought a little bit harder. I think he was very confused by what was happening, but he ends up breaking his collarbone. And I don't think that that is fair to say that he was weak or scared. I mean, I'm sure he was scared, but I mean, you try breaking your collarbone and then fight through a screen of armed and fully healthy men. I mean, there's just no way. There's no way, especially after he's just marched all the way north to New York on little to no sustenance. It's just, it's got to be horrible. So he remains a slave. He doesn't earn his freedom. And now he has to serve these people who aren't really nice to him at all. Whenever we see Joy Yoon, and she's nice to Roger and she speaks French. Like, you can see how he automatically could gravitate towards her. Whenever Kaheotin sees Roger have this fondness towards this woman, it really kind of makes him suspicious of Roger. I don't quite know the relationship between Kaheotin and Johiyun. It makes me think they're almost brother and sister by the way they behave, but I guess it could be kind of a Kaheot and like loving this woman and being jealous a little bit too. I, I'm not really sure. And so if you guys have any insight on that, I would love to hear your thoughts. So just drop a comment in the episode thread for this episode when it goes live. Because like I said, I would love to hear your thoughts on it as well. I kind of tend to think that it's a brother-sister relationship. But anyway, when Joy Yoon shows kindness to Roger I can imagine how that would feel after not having kindness shown to you for six months. Yeah, try not gravitating towards that person and trying to form a relationship with them. Human beings crave human contact anyway and affection. And so, yeah, I don't blame him for his behavior. And I don't blame Kaheotin really either because he's unsure why Roger was put in the position he was put in to begin with. Like, how terrible of a person do you have to be for someone to beat you to a bloody pulp and sell you as a slave? The Mohawk have very fierce beliefs as far as honor goes, very much like Scottish Highlanders. I mean, it's not the first parallel and it's not the last parallel that you will hear comparing Scottish Highlanders and Native Americans. They have a very similar culture and a very similar belief system. So, yeah, honor is first and foremost in their minds. And that's why I think they think he dishonored someone or brought dishonor to himself. And that's why he's been put in the position that he's in. And, of course, they're never going to believe him when he says, no, it was it was a mistake. It was a misunderstanding. In this scene with Jo Hyun and Kaheotin, there's this interesting quote that it's not really a quote because I can't remember exactly the words. Um, it's very similar to me to the way that Shakespeare English is where you say things in a phrase that three times as many words as you need <laughs> to convey your thought. But I mean, it was a beautiful sentiment. It's when he is giving Joy Yoon the bracelet or amulet or whatever it is. And he says, for your peace of mind. And she says, we must remember that peace begins with action and war begins with thoughts. 
I thought that that was a very poetic observation because it's kind of true. The first act of contrition or making peace with your enemy is a gesture of goodwill. And the first act of war are negative thoughts, angry words, stirring contempt and unrest with those thoughts and words. It's very interesting, I thought. Anyway, but the meat of Roger's storyline in this episode and the most important things to observe, I think, are the interactions that Roger has with Father Farrago, Father Alexander. I think that the whole purpose of Father Alexander's existence in the Gabaldon universe is to act as a physical manifestation of all of the emotional turmoil and internal debate of Roger. What's going on inside Roger? It's an interesting thought, and I've never had it before, but as I'm watching how much Roger is relating to what's happening to this priest, I was like, oh my god. He's literally a mirror. Roger is looking in a mirror. The whole reason that Father Farago is in the position that he's in is because he broke his vows and fell in love and had sex with a woman. That union brought forth a child. And he refuses to, in his own mind, damn this child because of the sins of the father. He's refusing to baptize this child because he's not in a state of grace. So the whole reason that Father Farago is in this position is because he fell in love. Roger, I think, understands that to the nth degree. Like, he gets it. He wouldn't be in this position either if he hadn't fallen in love with Brianna. And that's what he tries to tell the father. He says he crossed an ocean and followed her through space and time to prove his love to himself and the universe. And I love that little roll of the eye that he does. Like, you really are just so stupid, bro. He did all of this for Brie. And then when she finally agreed to marry him, it was literally hours later that they started arguing and they didn't stop arguing. And I love that he said, we said terrible things to each other, words to regret, but which can never be taken back. I feel like that's something that a lot of people forget is that when you say things in anger, you can regret saying them and you can apologize for them, but people can't unhear them. So I did feel bad for Roger in that moment, but I'm also like Bree said a lot of things that she probably didn't mean either, you know, and so to think that they're both going through this on either side and unsure if they'll ever see each other again, that must be really difficult. But I think that Roger has a internal debate or a crisis of faith in a lot of ways in this episode. He's struggling with who he is, who he was, and who he wants to be. In this episode, he comes to terms with who he is now as a person and finding some middle ground between who he wants to be and who he was. Before all of this happened to him, he was under some sort of misconception, maybe, about the world around him and the way that things work. And he wants to be this cold, selfish person that only looks out for himself, but 
he can't be either of those things because that's just not who he is. He's a very compassionate individual. And I think, especially at the beginning of this episode, he views those things as extremely negative. He views his perseverance and his compassion as millstones around his neck. That's not at all the case, but it takes a lot of looking deep into himself. In one of his many conversations with the father, he has this whole big montage on idiocy and how every action that he's taken to this point has been because of some misguided notion that love is worth self-sacrifice. And he said, there's this saying where I come from, look out for number one. And from now on, I'm number one. That's me. He's trying to convince Father Alexander that it's not worth giving your life up for love and that this misguided notion of honor is going to get him killed. He has misplaced faith in the system. While Father Farago is going to basically let himself be burnt at the stake, Roger's not going to make that same mistake again. When he has the opportunity to escape the next time, he's going to take it because he's had several opportunities before and he hesitated because he loved Brianna and he wanted to get back to her, but he doesn't know if he's going to ever get a chance again to escape. And if he does, Brianna could have moved on and not love him anymore. And he's really going to let himself be carried away into the bowels of history in some hope that he can make it back to Brianna one day. And I think that's who he wants to be. That's not who he is deep down. And we see that all play out by the end of this episode because Roger does escape and he runs and he runs, but he can't ignore the tortured and agonized screams of his friend. He argues with himself. He says, no, he chose his fate. It's not your fault. It's not your responsibility. But he goes back anyway. And it's because he's finally accepted who he is. It's not about backtracking. It's about realizing and accepting that who you are is okay. It's okay to be compassionate. It's okay to persevere and move forward. It doesn't make you weak. It's one of your strongest attributes because it doesn't take strength to be selfish. It takes strength to care about others more than yourself. And I think that was Roger's journey. It wasn't necessarily about growing as a person. It was about being okay with who you are and accepting that while the world may view it as a bad thing, it doesn't mean it is. It just means that culture in general is misguided. And I think that happens on a daily basis, that the best qualities of humanity are viewed as weakness a lot of times. And that's just not the case. The way that this episode ended kind of left me wanting a little bit, I guess. I was not okay with it. I know that, I mean, the priest burned in the book. It did happen. I felt like the end of this episode was supposed to be about Roger and his journey, though. And they made this big, long, romantic moment of the sacrifice of Joey Yoon crawling onto the fire with her love. I just didn't understand the point of it. I really didn't. I thought that it took away from the momentum that our characters had going into the season finale. I thought it was a distraction. 
And while I agreed with Roger running back and throwing the whiskey on the fire, the whole her crawling onto the fire after him, yes, it was a cool special effect. It was a wonderful stunt, but I felt like it distracted from the true intention of the episode. So yeah, I didn't necessarily agree with it. I, I really didn't. Um, and that's not as a book reader watching the show and saying, well, that's not how it happened. That's a viewer saying, I think this takes away from the development of our characters. Alrighty. Well, that sums up my analysis. Performance of the episode for me this week went to Rick Rankin. I thought he had some great micro acting moments on his face. Whenever Father Farago was talking about how he prayed for his love to abate, but his prayers have gone unanswered and he's listing everything that he loves about this woman. The camera is on Rick for most of it. And you can see like just the tears standing in his eyes. He understands what this man is going through because he's going through it himself. And he's prayed that he could just let Brianna go because it would make things so much easier if he could. If he didn't love her, he can make a decision for himself with a clear mind. That whole bit with him, any of the scenes with him in the hut with Father Alexander were fantastic. I felt everything Roger was feeling in this episode, and that is the mark of a truly great actor. So Rick Rankin took the cake for me this week. As far as quotes go, my quote of the episodes generally revolve around something extremely romantic or extremely profound or philosophical. This week, I went for a little bit more humor in that my quote is when Father Alexander says, I heard every word you said, and I understand your feelings on love and its concurrent idiocy very well, but I do not share those feelings, Roger. Concurrent idiocy. I mean, yeah, because Roger is is calling anyone who loves anyone an idiot, basically. And I think he's gone through the stages of grief over his loss. And now he's in the anger stage of it all. I'm glad that somebody stepped in and said, yes, I understand that you think that love and acting out of love or for love is idiotic. I get that. But I don't agree with it. It was good. I thought Yontal did a good job in being Father Alexander, so shout out to him as well. Alrighty, guys, that about wraps up my thoughts, but as always, I open it up to you guys. I'm so sorry. I definitely dropped the ball this week and got out the listener comments a bit late in the game, but there were still a couple of people that answered my call, I guess. (laughs) So... Melanie Wyatt on Facebook says, I thought it was very effective having Jamie's voice read his letter to Brianna. I don't think they needed any more Jamie and Claire in this episode. The show really needed to spend time on Roger and Brianna's story. As far as the character development of Roger, I was surprised to see Roger praying for Father Alexander. I had not read the books prior to watching the series, so I had no expectations of how his character would develop. After I binged the series last year, I had to read the books because I couldn't understand why we knew so much about Claire and Jamie and not enough about Roger and Brianna. After reading Drums of Autumn, it's clear that they should have had one or two more episodes in season four to do justice to the book. I was also shocked by the ending and I had to rewind and watch it a few times because it was such an amazing stunt. Yeah, I feel like this is really the first point in the show where we see Roger's faith show through because 
we don't really touch on it. I mean, yes, he was raised by a minister, but there's not really any indication in his character that that's an integral part of who he is. And we see that in this episode. I don't necessarily think it's because it's what Roger needs, but he's very clearly understanding that this priest needs that. He needs someone to pray for him because it's who the priest is. And so I think Roger is very good at identifying what someone needs and giving them what they need in some form or another. I agree with you. I don't think this episode needed any additional Jamie and Claire simply because, like I said, they're so deeply ingrained in who these characters are and who the show is that their presence isn't really necessary for their influence to be felt, I guess. So I thought that that was very key to this episode. And while I agree that this season was not well adapted and that we definitely needed more Brie and Roger, I don't know that adding another two episodes would have helped. Because for those of you that don't know, season four was the first season that Ron Moore stepped back from being the showrunner. And he kind of handed the reins to Matt Roberts and Tony Graffia. But I think what happened here was that Matt Roberts and Tony Graffia's vision for this show conflicted too much for its own good and their opposing views were constantly butting heads. And so we have some really great episodes and we have some not so great episodes. I think moving forward in season five, Matt Roberts is just the showrunner and we get Katrina Balf and Sam Hewen as executive producers. And I think the vision kind of clears on adaptive choices, but I don't necessarily know the additional episodes would have helped things in season four because most of what was poorly adapted were tiny choices, small choices here and there that all got packed into one big snowball and then just started rolling downhill. So yeah, I don't know that more time would have helped because look at this episode. I mean, we had five minutes at the end where we kind of just spent time on unnecessary plot points when we could have been adapting putting more in for Roger and Bree. And that starts at the very beginning. Every single one of the episodes in season four has something that was unnecessary that could have been cut out to have more accurate adaptation, and yet it wasn't chosen. So that's kind of where your thoughts and mine differ, Melanie. But yes, Drums of Autumn was my favorite. So I do understand your confusion, I guess on the choices that were made and your longing for a better a better character life for Roger and Bree, I suppose. Lynn Judd 809 on Instagram says, Roger found himself and I think needed something like his capture to take him out of his safe place. It's not like Roger didn't understand that the 18th century was a dangerous place with completely different ideals from what he was used to. But I think that he did need a bit of a wake-up call in that his actions and his reactions cannot be the same as they were in the 20th century. I thought that this episode really was a wake-up call for Roger, but not necessarily because he's thrown into this culture that he doesn't understand. I think that he needed to talk it out with someone. Like, he needed a therapy session, if we're being honest. Um, He needed to come to grips with what happened to him 
and to understand that he can still be all of the things that he wants to be, but he needs to find a different way of doing so. Like he needs to fully accept who he is in this new life and move forward from there. So yeah, I think that Roger did find himself in this episode for sure. Those were my only two episode related comments this week. However, I did get some wonderful comments from uh, Shelly Lackey and Sandy Viglione Corsi on Facebook. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you, ladies. It never hurts to put positive vibes out into the universe, I feel like. And um, as any creative soul, I do feel a bit insecure about what I put out there for you guys every week. So to hear that you guys are enjoying it and that you appreciate all of my hard work and time and energy that goes into this podcast really just means the world to me. So thank you so much for your kind words. With that, I am going to bring this episode to a close for the day. Make sure to join me next week where I discuss the season four finale, Man of Worth. Also, in two weeks, I am going to be doing a Facebook Live event with my dear friend, Angela Hickey. We are going to be going through season four superlatives, which are all of the best things about season four. I have posted the list in the event on my group, TSF Obsassinax. The live event will not be on the main Sassanac Files page just because we've had some issues with random people that are not Outlander fans at all coming in and trolling. So we're not going to do that. I moved all of my live events to TSF Obsassanax. It doesn't cost anything to join. So if you guys would like to participate in the live event, please just go over to TSF Obsassanax on Facebook and then request permission to join. Before your request can be granted, though, you must fill out all three admission questions along with agreeing to follow the rules. And if you don't do all of those things, unfortunately, we will not be able to approve your request. But like I said, it doesn't cost anything. It'll just take a couple moments of your time, and then you will have access to all of the live events that we do on the Sassanac Files in the future. Make sure you RSVP to the event, say you're going, so you'll have access to any updates that I post, including the list of topics Angela and I are going to discuss. We look so forward to talking with you guys here in a couple of weeks. That's going to be November 12th at 8 p.m., so make sure to join us there. But like I said, before that, we've got the season four finale coming up next week. Make sure to check back for the listener comments thread to let me know what you guys thought so we can talk about it in great detail next week on the Sassanac Files. Until then, you guys stay safe out there, and I will chat at you later. Bye! Bye!